0: Yeah, so, uh, anyways, glad you're here. Those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm pastor here. I normally preach here in St. Paul, and and uh, I know uh, Pastor Steve was really itching to preach this passage tonight, and uh, you'll you'll find out why. I hope. I hope I'll be able to communicate why this is such a, a big deal and such a such an amazing passage. Um, so I just wanna just wanna jump into this. Uh, this is uh, just a picture of of uh, my my little boy Henry, and myself, and uh, Papa Wayne. Uh, he's He's my stepdad, my my mother and him got married about uh, I don't know six or seven years ago now, and uh, they were both um, uh, widows, widowers, and uh, found each other and and so it's been great. He's a great man. He won't replace my dad, I, but I love Wayne, but he's a, a fantastic papa and he's got a, a lot of property down in rural uh, Illinois in the middle of nowhere. and you know he's got a tractor. I clearly am at a place, you know, wearing like pajamas uh, up on this thing. I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, But uh, Wayne just gave me the keys and said, "Push this," and then off we went. Uh, It was a little terrifying, Um, but it was it was a lot of fun. And and so, it's not a huge piece of property, but if you know kind of rural areas and farmlands, they're they're all kind of connected. You know what I mean? Like your your neighbor is all like a mile away, and and you you just kind of that's just how it works down there. Well. Um, my, uh, my stepdad also has a a gator. It's just kind of this, this little green, you know, four by four thing. It's a mix between like a four by four and a pickup truck. Uh, you know, they had an awkward child and you get this gator thing, um, if you will. And, and so we, but we tool around all over their property. He has some paths on there through their woods and, and we'll just kind of tool around through there. And, um, and uh, Henry loves it, and it's all. And he wakes up in the morning, and he just goes, moo, cow, gator, right? It's all he wants. He just wants to, to go outside. Well, so do I, right? And I've got a big brother. He's five years older than me, and, and we like driving around in the gator, right? So we have to wait till all the, all the kids go to bed, uh, where the big boys now can play, and we can do whatever we want. Um, and my brother and I, though, we have, this, we have this phrase that we use with each other, uh, where we just say, prove it, right? So so if we walk inside and I'm really hungry, I'm right? like, oh, man, I can eat that whole pizza. He's just like, prove it, right? Like, you, you got to prove that you could eat that whole pizza. It's just kind of something that, that we do. Or, man, I'm, I'm really good at this game. I've played this game a million times. This is your first time. Like, I'm probably going to win. Right? So I'll prove it then, right? Like, beat me. Let's see what actually happens here. Um, that actually, I actually just used that line a couple, uh, couple days ago. He came up here, and my wife had never played the game before, and she whooped me. Uh, and so I did not prove it uh, that I was better uh, than they were. Um, but I made a statement though one night. this We went down there for Christmas this year, and uh, they don't have any snow down there. Um, lucky. And, uh, but we were on this gator one night, and we're driving around, and my brother was getting a little turned around. There's just a lot of farmlands, we're just in some random person's field. You know it's after midnight, and um, there's just the headlights on the gator. You can't see anything because the lights just kind of wash everything out. All you can see is just what what's right in front of you with this gator lights up. And and Matt was like, "Oh, we're gonna get lost." And I just said, "I I actually can't get lost. Like I don't even know. I I cannot get lost." And he was like, "Prove it, right? Pro- like prove that you can't get lost." So we we went everywhere, right? I mean, I would just turning and back and forth, just going through random fields, crossing over creeks, just going like crazy. And we stumbled across an abandoned um, uh, 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 what do you call it, like a, a, um, where they put cars when they die, junkyard, all right? We, we stumbled across this random junkyard, all right? And it was, you know, again, just pitch black, and so we're just driving, and all of a sudden, like in the woods, we see like this old bulldozer, and, and these old cars stacked up on top of each other, like a, a TV from the 30s, you know, they didn't have TVs in the 30s, but, you know, like it was a really old TV, right? These tube TVs and everything, and, and there was this huge tanker truck, that was, uh, that was in there, and the, there's these big doors that were kind of open, and it's, it was freaky, uh, right? And so the whole time we're driving, every time we'd pass that tanker truck, my, my brother would just yell, Merry Christmas, you know, just in case, like, you know, Michael Myers was about to jump out of the back of the thing. And, and so we were, we were terrified, but, but, it, but I, I proved it. I, we, I can't get lost because worst case scenario, I just turn around and retrace the steps that I came from. And, and so we, we had a lot of fun, but that's just kind of a, a phrase that we use, and, and you can adopt that. When somebody makes an outlandish claim, just say prove it, right? That's it's always kind of a fun fun thing to see them try to prove it. What's really fun, though, is tonight Peter's actually going to do that, right? He's going to look at every single one of you at, at the church and say, hey, are, are you a believer? Are you, are you in Christ? Prove it, right? And he's going to do that tonight. So that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. We've been in this passage, we've been in this book of First Peter for the last Eight weeks, and we're calling it Between Two Worlds, study of First Peter. And, and so this one, though, is just going to be Living Stones. It's going to be First Peter 2, 4 through 10. And I'm going to read all the Scripture. There's going to be a lot, a lot of Scripture tonight, and I'll, I'll make sure I read it all uh, out loud for you, but feel free to, to turn into your Bibles and follow along. Um, I, this was, It's called Living Stones. It's just a, a phrase from the passage we are going to be looking at, but it could also be titled, Brian's Favorite Verses in the Bible. All right, this is like, I mean, this, if, if, if I had to. If I had to boil it down, these verses that we're gonna to read tonight, there's so much behind it, not just between the old and the new and what he says about us and our position in Christ, it's it's beautiful. Right now, now there's a lot of context that has to be explained, and and so if it's the only verse that we had in the Bible, it would be it would be lacking, clearly. That's why we have a, a the rest of the Bible. But there's just so much here, and it's so rich. And I know that Pastor Steve's here tonight. He loves this passage as well, right? So I know it killed him to have to cancel this morning. And, and I know he was even trying to, you know, hey, you know, I can, I'm happy to preach, you know, lower town tonight. I know you are. No. Um, the, only, the only way that was going to happen, again, was my wife, she's, she's doing a day here. So it was like, you know, even tonight, he said, you know, free to feel, tap me in if we need to, right? I'd be happy to. And we would be happy too. The hospital's right here. It would be, it would be a win-win. Um, uh, anyway, so we're going to be looking, looking at this passage. So I'm just going to read it. Um, ben, he read just the last two verses, so I just want to read the, uh, the, the rest of the passage here. So this is First uh, Peter chapter 2, 4 through 10. It says this. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood Yet received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So, the first point that we're going to look at tonight is, is simply Christ as the living stone. And as I just read, there's, there's this language here of living stone and cornerstone. And so, a cornerstone, and a lot of you may know this, and I just want to reiterate this this, this is a, an ancient practice. We don't really do this uh, too much today. Uh, I've got a buddy in my small group who, who's building buildings like crazy. They don't need to go around and look for a giant rock. Uh, to, to, to make sure the building's going to be firm and it's make sure, right? They, they do it with steel and iron. and They dig down into the bedrock. But back in the day, they would, they would take this giant stone, a cornerstone, and they would make sure that that thing was perfectly squared. And if that solid foundational chief cornerstone rock was solid and straight, well, then all the other rocks that you would put up next to it would be straight as well, right? But, but that was, it was incredibly, incredibly important. It supported the entire structure. And so that's the language that he's using and as we're going to see in this passage, so Christ is this living stone, right? And I think in the church, if you've grown up in the church, it's so easy to just pass that up. As you come to him, the living stone. Jesus was crucified on the cross over 2,000 years ago, and Peter's saying he is a living stone. He's alive, right? He's, he's not dead. He's not buried in some tomb somewhere. He's alive. And let's not forget that church. And everything that Peter's about to say and has said is founded on that fact that Jesus is this living stone, this chief cornerstone. I used this illustration a couple weeks ago, and it's probably more fitting this week. I wish I would have told myself that uh, a couple weeks ago. But when we look at at a building that has a foundation, and it's something that we can't see. Right? You, can, you can right now, if this building's old enough, you can go down in the basement, you can see these, these limestones that are crumbling under the weight of, of centuries, but uh, that's beside the point. Um, you, you, it's just foundation, right? Normally we don't see that when you drive by a building, but we see the walls and we see, we see the structure of a building and what we normally can see as it goes up, but there's something that all of these walls here are founded on. And it's a foundation. So that's the question. What is this foundation that Peter has built his argument on and that tonight he's going to continue to build his argument on? It's the foundation, this chief cornerstone. What in who is that chief cornerstone? And yes, like it's, it's Jesus. But I want to go back to what he says, though, in, in uh, chapter 1, in verse 3. He says, in, this, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the foundation. That's the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ, who is alive and well. And he's breathing air to this day. He's somewhere in the universe, right? Just, can't, it's hard to wrap our minds around that. But he has a body and he will always have a body. He is alive. And he is our living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation. That's the cornerstone. And so to use the language that Peter's been using, that foundation, that we are chosen pilgrims or aliens or strangers or foreigners, that we have been begotten by the Father, we've been chosen by him before the foundations of the world, that we have an untouchable inheritance for us in glory and the greatness of our salvation and this new birth or being born again in a living Christ. That's the foundation. And what everyone can see, the walls, the structure, is this godly living. That people can observe the way I live my life. And what Peter talks about those things are holiness. That we can be holy because God is holy and because now we're in Christ. He's enabled us to be holy. And last week, Pastor Cora talked about desiring God's living word like a baby desires milk. That's what we've seen, but we're going to see this even further this week These walls are going to be developed. They're going to be starting to take shape and and form on this solid rock of this foundation of what does it mean for us to be a church, to be a people group that people can observe and see. But before we get there, we're going to just keep walking through this, this passage. It says that this chief cornerstone, this living stone was rejected by humans. It says that he was rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. And and there's a lot of history here that, that Peter is just kind of flying over, right? But again, Peter's writing to the Gentiles. He's writing to people who aren't necessarily churched people. He's not talking to, to uh, Jewish Israelites that maybe would have known all about this. and what, right? if, if you know nothing of the Old Testament and read 1 Peter, it is amazing. But when you start to get into the history and the context of where he's drawing these themes from, it just becomes a high-definition TV. It's just amazing of what he shows us. Uh, based on where he's pulling this from. So it said that Jesus was rejected by humans. In other words, he's specifically talking about the Jewish leaders, that they would have looked at Jesus that claimed to be the Messiah, claimed to be the good news, claimed to be the hope of the world, and they say, no, that, that cornerstone's not what we were expecting, right? Well, go, go get me a different stone, they were expecting a Messiah, they were expecting somebody who was going to fulfill the promises that was given to Abraham and, and David, right, that he was going to have descendants as far as the you could see and count in the stars, that he was going to possess and take over the land that they were currently occupied under of Rome, that this Messiah was going to show up and he was going to take all that land back, and that he was going to be a king in the lineage of David. So, all these things, they're saying, no, this is a, this is a stone. Go, go get a different one. It's kind of like when I, I play Legos or trying to build a tower with my son, right? Now, you, when you start a foundation of any tower, right? You guys remember playing with Legos or something like that. You got to get the big ones first, right? You take the big ones, then you, then you get littler and littler up at the top, right? Uh, that's, that's usually how you build successful towers when you're a child. But he always wants to start with the little ones, right? He's like, no, 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 go, go, get, me a different, go get me a different stone. And that's, that's what happens, okay? So even Jesus talks about this. This is in Matthew chapter 13. He says this, "'Coming into his hometown, "'he began teaching the people in their synagogue, "'and they were amazed. "'Where did this man get this wisdom "'and these miraculous powers?' "'They asked, "'Isn't, isn't this the carpenter's son? "'I mean, isn't his mother's name Mary, "'and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas?' Aren't all of his sisters here with us? Where did this man get all of these things? And they took offense at him. Right? So Jesus shows up and he starts proclaiming who he is and even calls himself this chief cornerstone that he is proclaiming to be the Messiah. And they say, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 (laughs) no. You do not fit the bill. This is not at all what the Old Testament teaches about what the Messiah is going to be like. So that's what's happening here and so we see Jesus, this living stone being rejected by the narrative that was being told about who the Messiah would be. And then the church is being built into a living spiritual house. It says this, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. I love here what Karen Job says. She says the, the Christian church is not primarily a social organization. Because right? can we be honest? Like this would be a this is a bad social organization, right? it just is. Right? Like we're gonna have one one dude stand up front. He's gonna yell at you for about 45 minutes, and then we're gonna have some coffee and donuts, and we're gonna go home. That's not how you build like real friends, right? But but that's the mystery of the church, that we get to share authentic real life. We were not just some social club, some social organization, but a new temple where the tran- where transformed lives of believers are offered as a sacrifice to the glory of God. The imagery of the living stones being built into a single unit implies the significance and purpose of the individual Christian cannot be realized apart from community with other believers. And I say this probably almost at a, on a weekly basis here, that, that my faith with Christ, is, is a, it's a personal relationship with Jesus. It's never meant to be private that we are in this together and we are being built up into this building alive with one another. So we could look back at that foundation, these walls, we could say that foundation is a rebirth in a living Christ and the walls and the structure that are being built out of that, that we are a living community that we are being built into. You see, because a master builder has chosen Jesus Christ his only begotten son as the stone in which all other stones will be built upon. And we, church, we all, our living stones, are being built up into this beautiful masterpiece. And only when human history ceases will the scaffolding of time begin to fall away and reveal the true glory of what God's plan for his image bearers really is. And it is magnificent. Magnificent and we can't even begin to imagine the glory that is his church, that is his bride, that is you. But then as soon as Peter tells us this, that we are being built up into this church, I always have to ask myself, how is this possible? I mean, I mean, I mean really, I mean, like me, a wretched sinner. Like, I, like I'm part of that story. I'm part of that glory. I'm, I'm part of the bride of Christ. And he says that we're to offer acceptable sacrifices. How can we do that? A couple weeks ago, we looked at the holiness of God, this unapproachable light. How, how can I ever do anything to that God where it's acceptable? It's only through Christ. And Peter says this explicitly offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. How? Hard work. I'm gonna donate a lot of money and time and all these different things, and then maybe, just maybe, God will accept me. No, He says that I am, these are acceptable through Jesus Christ, based on that foundation of who He is. As I was writing this, I was reminded of this old hymn that we used to sing all the time growing up And Can It Be? It was written by Charles Wesley, and these are some of the lyrics. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood, that I should actually get something of profit from the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain? For me who him to death pursued? I nailed him to the cross. My sin caused pain and wrath from the Father. How can that be? In the chorus, he says, Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That this master plan and his master builder, that part of that story and rewording and reworking of the story was to put Jesus Christ on the throne. And to be the key cornerstone in which all of us are going to be built up into. And someday he's going to remove all that scafton, he's going to We're going to see it. And we're going to praise and worship and glorify God for all of eternity. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? And so tonight, even looking at all these passages and looking at what Peter has said, if Jesus really is rereading the story or if Peter is a retelling of this story, and Paul does the same thing. Well, then Peter, prove it. Right, Peter, I want you to prove this. Are you just making this up, just kind of willy-nilly? I mean, you, you, you use some Old Testament, but let's talk about this a little bit more. Is there really a retelling of the story? Because I'm a little confused. Because if I only read the Old Testament, Jesus is no Messiah. If I only read the New Testament, the Old Testament, it looks like, yeah, he's going to be a king. He's going to be seated on his throne. So I'm a little confused with the story here, Peter. So I need you to prove this. So he then quotes Scripture. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion and I chose a precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame and there's verses all over the old testament that this is from Isaiah 54 and also from Psalm 117 that this is coming from and so it could be coming from a different couple different places we're saying see this is what the old Testament's saying that there was this chief cornerstone that was precious and anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame and in a culture that was all about shame and honor what he's saying if you put your faith and trust in this cornerstone you won't have shame And therefore, the opposite is also true, that if I don't put my faith and trust in that cornerstone, then I will be put to shame. Uh, Let me take a little aside here, mainly because of that video that we watched about Mission 1618. Mission 1618, the whole passage is about um, Jesus goes to Peter and he says, uh, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. You're You're the Christ. You... You are the one that we've all been waiting for, right? That you have retold this story. You are the one that we're waiting for. And then Jesus says, that verse that that Davis read there says, and upon this rock, I will build my church. And he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So unfortunately, people have taken that because Peter's name, Petros, means the rock, that God is saying, Peter, upon you, I'm going to build my church. And that's a, that's a wrong way to read that story because, think of it, if Petros, if the rock, was reading this story and was retelling this story and was talking about the chief cornerstone, this would have been a really easy time for him to go, yeah, and I'm also kind of a big deal. <laughs> like, I'm also like a, like a big rock too, you know? And he doesn't do that, right? He just says, no, it's about Jesus. Everything is always about Jesus, and the foundation's always about Jesus. It's got nothing to do with me, okay? So that's just a, just a side, right? Is that my warning time? Am I getting close on time? Getting too, too animated? All right, I'm to move on here. Then Peter, proving it even further, he says, Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone, again, he's quoting here another passage, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Okay, so that one that the, that the Jews said, Nope, not, not our Messiah, right? Not, not, not our Christ, you're not going to save us. Now it has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which was also what they were destined for. And we can get caught up in the language here of of, of election and all these different things. What are we we talking about? What do we mean destined for? Simply they disobeyed. And the result of disobeying is destruction. And so what, what Peter's doing is he's retelling the story here. Because no longer, according to these passages that he quotes and applies them to the church, no longer does one need to become an Israelite in order to be saved or redeemed. One simply needs to believe. One simply needs to have faith and believe that Jesus is that chief cornerstone, regardless of ethnicity. That every nation, tribe, and tongue is going to worship Jesus, and it has nothing to do with the color of our skin. It has nothing to do with our socioeconomic background. It has everything to do with my faith in Christ. It's a retelling of this story, and he gets this, and he quotes directly from Psalm one seventeen five. 5, and I'm going to read 21 through 25 as well. It says, in my distresses, I called to the Lord, and he hearkened to me. I will acknowledge you because you hearkened to me and became my salvation. The stone the builders rejected, this one became the chief cornerstone, and this was the Lord's doing. This cornerstone that was going to be rejected and then going to be made, the actual chief cornerstone, was always part of the plan. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Our Lord, do save us. Our Lord, do give us success. And then Jesus Christ himself is going to quote this same passage and say, yeah, that's me. You're rejecting me. Now it is available to everybody. He says, Jesus said to them, He's talking to the leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the leaders of the, the religion of, of Israelites, the Jews. He said, Have you ever, have you never read in the scriptures? Right? Now, Jesus, he's kind of a funny guy, all right. When, when you really get into it, and you gotta think, when I mean, this guy created laughter and humor, right? So so he had humor, right? He had to have been a really funny dude to hang out with sometimes. Right now, I love it. He's talking to people who have these verses memorized. And he says, have you never read in scripture? Or like, yeah. Right, he's, he's kind of like, zing. Yeah, we read it, we know it. He says this, he quotes it. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you Israel, and given to a people producing its fruits, everybody else. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. And the chief priests and the Pharisees heard these parables. They perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. But now what we see Peter doing is this is no longer just a retelling of the story, of Jew and Gentile, which is certainly true of what Jesus and what Peter or what Paul does. But what Peter's doing, he's trying to emphasize the fact here that this is no longer a Jew and Gentile relationship. This is simply in Christ and not in Christ. This is those who are in faith and those who are not in faith, regardless of ethnicity. Are we in Christ? And that's an offensive message. That is why the first century Christians were persecuted. Wouldn't have been that big of a deal if you think about it. There was was all kinds of gods. There was a God for everything. Why not just add one more? It's just Jesus. They were persecuted because, no, because Jesus said he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life, and no one can get to the Father but through him. And that was offensive, and it's still offensive today in our culture to say, no, Jesus is the only way. Only one road leads to heaven, and that is through the blood of Christ. But then he says this, but you, but you, church, because you believe in this stone, he says, but you are a chosen people. Again, Karen Job says this. In biblical theology, Israel's deliverance from exile in Babylon is the typological forerunner of the greater deliverance achieved by Jesus Christ. Okay, so the things that, that we see in the Old Testament of being out, coming out of exile and, and, and being united again under, under, under Yahweh in the temple, it's just, it's just looking forward to what Jesus Christ did. Deliverance of God's people out of darkness and into light. Peter here makes this radical claim that those who believe in Jesus Christ, whether Jew, Gentile, Greek, Roman, Capitosean, Bithynia, or whatever though from many races, constitute a new race of those who have been born again into a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here is the foundational cure for all the evils of racism in human society. It's to say, we've, we've been blessed with something more. That's got nothing to do with my skin, my language. It has everything to do with who my creator is and my faith in that creator. He then goes on, but you, you church, are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And those words, those those verses should just jump out of the page, especially if you're here and went through Exodus, because these are words that were explicitly used for Israel, ethnic Israel, that if you were alive 5,000 years ago during the time of the Exodus or longer... And that was going on, you're you're walking along with them. In order for you to join that tribe, you had to become like them. You had to change almost everything about who you were and join their people. And now Peter's saying, yeah, that, that was a thing for the Exodus. That was a thing for Israel. But now these words, these phrases are going to be about you, church. You are a royal priesthood, not just the Levites that you are a holy nation of all nations and tribes and tongues, tribes and tongues, not just Israel, that you are God's special possession. Exodus 19, 5 through 6 says this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. And here, again, we just see Peter retelling the story along with a lot of other New Testament authors. He's saying it's not just about Israel, it's about everybody. And this this rings true maybe to me a little bit more. And those of you who maybe grew up in the church, there might have been this kind of seeming dichotomy between Israel and the church. That there was this time for Israel, now it's the time for the church to be saved, and there's going to come a time where Israel is going to be restored to its former glory and all these prophecies that were made in the Old Testament are going to come true again. Well, now we see that once was explicitly one group of words for one group of people is now available to everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, everybody. The master's plan wasn't for building An Israelite church, an Israelite building, and then a a, a Gentile church made up of all the other nations, the plan the whole time was to build one building on one chief cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ, and which we are being built up to. And Jesus then gets to break down the wall of hostility between the two, making the two one. That's the story of the entire Bible. So as we go back and we look at these words, you are a priesthood, a holy nation, and God's Special possession. So if that's true to you, church, prove it. Prove it, right? I mean, if, if I really believe this, if I really believe that Jesus is the King of Kings and He's Lord of Lords and He is the foundation of everything that I do as a believer. And I know that I'm freed, I'm loved in him, that I, I do these things and I obey out of love for who God is and what he has done for me. Let's prove it together as, as a church, as a body, as his bride. I want to look at what Paul says about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Sorry, we're going to go back. I didn't finish the passage here. 1 Peter, this is like, like the passage. Somehow I skipped it. What are we supposed to prove? He says this that you may declare. All right, what, what does declare mean? Declare means use words, proclaim, speak. That you, church, if all this is true, if I believe this, then I will declare. I will proclaim the praises of him who called me out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That I will proclaim and I will declare that once I was not a people. I wasn't part of this group of believers. I wasn't part of being in Christ. I once was not a people, but now you are the people of God. And once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. It is such a beautiful thing. So why? What are we to do? Why do we declare? Because what Peter's saying here is because you know what it's like to not. You know what it's like to not Have light. You know what it's like to be in darkness. You know what it's like to not be a people. You know what it's like to not have mercy, and now you have, and your life has meaning and satisfaction. He says, "Declare that truth. Proclaim that truth." So Peter says this in Ephesians chapter two. Says consequently. Just talking about the same exact idea of being built up in Christ. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. It's almost like Peter and Paul believe the same exact thing. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. Just one temple. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Skipping down to chapter 3, 7 through 12, it says this, "...I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given to me through the the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles of the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. And listen to what he says here. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to all the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That all the manifold wisdom of God is going to be revealed. You could fill in the blank with almost Anything. And what he says is the manifold wisdom of God is going to be proclaimed to everybody around us, to you, by you. That you are the church, that the manifold wisdom of God is going to be revealed. And according to his eternal purpose, that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I, don't, I no longer cower when I approach God, I can now boldly go to Him through the throne, by the throne of grace, with freedom and confidence. Why? Because I'm in Christ and through faith in Christ. And finally, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 through 13 says this: So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Why does he give them? Why does he give certain individuals, whatever you want to call it, this ability to, to teach and to proclaim? He does it to equip his people, you, church, for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. It's the same language that Peter used, that we're being built up. And it's not this social weird club where a guy is just up front telling you what's going on for the next 45 minutes. That's equipping you for the ministry until we reach the unity and the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, that we are being built up. And so it is our job, however you want to word it, right, as, as, a, as someone who's who in ministry, uh, who's in paid ministry, that this is, this is my job, and I, I really enjoy doing this. But there are every single person in this room, other than maybe Steve, you guys come in contact with people that are non-believers that I would never come in contact with. I don't think there's anybody on staff that I would say, eh, I'm not so sure about that or salvation. I need to go have a chat with them, right? No, that would, that would be, that'd be, But I'm going to fire them, right? That's what happens, right? It's a church, but you get to come into a context where you're going to meet people and rub shoulders with people that we never get to. And so it is our joy to be able to equip you to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ who called you out of darkness in a marvelous light because you once were not a people and now you are and once you did not receive mercy and now you have. And so the language that we use at Hope when it talks about our our structure and how we do these things, and I think there have been times where this is certainly implied in our language, but I think that we want to make this a little bit more explicit, and it's this that we would say as a church that we are elder-led, that we have uh, elders and, and we meet uh, regularly, we discuss the spiritual direction of the church and, 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 and we discuss all these different things, that we are elder-led and we have this governance team, men and women support uh, the elders and, and different decisions that they're supporting that, that maybe through financial and, and, and running all those different logistical things, that we're elder-led, governance team supported, that we're staff run, that we have a lot of staff, whether that be interns or, or part-time staff or full-time staff, that we're, we're the boots on the ground, that we're really trying to get these ministries and different things going. But listen, if we stop it right there, it's not a church, because that's not the manifold wisdom of God being revealed. The manifold wisdom of God has been revealed so that you, church, so the language at least that I'm going to start using, is this idea of member mobilized. That you are the church and that you get this opportunity that as you learn, as you grow, to then go into our communities and mobilize the church to be its hands and its feet as a body of Christ. I'm going to illustrate it this way. This is uh, uh, my family. Uh, This is up at my, down at my mom's in Illinois and uh, so you've got my wife, Angela, on the left. This was a, a long time ago, this picture. I couldn't find one recently. Uh, my brother-in-law, Phil, he's married to my sister across the table, my sister, Amy, who's thrilled uh, that she's getting her picture taken uh, in this photo. Um, my, my older brother, Matt, is back there in the Superman shirt, and then Wayne and my mom, and then little uh, Cosette. She's the only uh, only uh, child in this picture. Amy just had twins, so that's probably why she's not too thrilled about anything uh, at that moment. Um, but this is our family, and we do this uh, you know, a couple times a year that we get together and we sit around the dinner table, and my, my mom is a, a great cook. I mean, I don't, she, she just adds butter to everything, so of course it tastes great. Um, but she, she really is a great cook. She's She really is a fantastic cook. And and there's not a lot of us. It's not a super busy house. It's getting busier now that we're having uh, more and more kids, and it gets a little crazier and a little bit more, more rambunctious. But, but we, we had this big meal together, and we always do this. But Part of my family, my mom's from New York, Uh, she married my dad who is from Chicago, Um, and my mom doesn't doesn't joke around, right? Matter of fact, I I have a picture that I put in Henry's room of the Chrysler building uh, because my mom used to always say, I need you to clean your room until it shines like the top of the Chrysler building. What is the Chrysler building? Like, I didn't know what she was talking about, right? But she was definitely like, in your face, like, this is how this is going to go, and when she's cooking... Right, if Phil, my brother-in-law, was like, well, it's not my family. Like you I'm an outlaw, right? You guys treat me like an outlaw. I'm just gonna go I'm gonna watch some FIFA, uh, and I'm just gonna watch some TV and you guys cook, you guys clean. Trust me, my mom's not gonna have any of that. My mom's gonna walk right over there and she's gonna, Phil, get in here, right? You gotta you gotta help and do the dishes. Why? That's what families do, right? I can't imagine going home to my family and saying, yeah, I'm not going to help cook. I'm not going to help clean. Angela, you got the kids. I'm just going to veg. No, 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 right? Not not when my mom is in town, right? That's not going to happen because we're family. And it's the same thing with us, that we really are a family, that we are the bride of Christ and we are being built up in this together. And so we we journey alongside one another. I want to Quote, this is a, it's probably a bad quote. I probably shouldn't have put in quotation marks. Leon's crump. We went to this conference down in Orlando this week. That's why I'm a little uh, sunburnt because <laughs> uh, I wasn't shoveling and got sunburnt. I was in the ocean and got sunburnt. Um, anyways, we went to this conference. That's why we went there. Uh, we just had uh, some free moments and went to an ocean. You would have done it too. Um <laughs> Leonce, he he said this and it was this is a paraphrase though okay it's not it's not that we that is the the church staff right the, the the pastors whatever it's not that we have this mission and and you can help church and listen I'm guilty of that I think I'm pretty sure I did that two weeks ago I think I even used the illustration of like man yeah if we don't get enough you know nursery workers you know my little boy Henry's gonna be running down here and screaming and disrupting everything therefore we need more nursery workers right I think and again this is me just seeing the scripture again differently in the sense of that's not the church, that the church isn't guilted into doing the mission that we should want to. And there's so much more than just volunteering within these walls. There's so many things and opportunities that we can do to infiltrate our communities and neighborhoods and these cities as we just saw in that video of Mission 1618. So the language that we should and I want to start using is that you, church, have a mission, You have the mission to declare the good news of Jesus Christ who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. That's your mission. So what can we, what can I do to help? What can we do? So tangibly, if you were to log into myhopecc.com right now, this little white box would pop up and something else would pop up where it says communication card. And right there on that, that little, you just click, click. There's a list of all these different ministries and you'll immediately be, be uh, given the email or your, your information will be sent off to someone in charge of these ministries. And if you say, man, I, I, I want to start something new. What, what can I do? Email hope at hopecc.com. That's an actual email. My roommate gets these emails. My roommate, my office mate, my, my, not my wife. <laughs> My office, I share an office with the guy in the video, Davis Johnson, and he gets these emails and, and we talk about them. We pour through these things. And if you say, man, there's, there's something I've got this passion for. What can we do to help you do that? We want to enable and empower you to be on mission for Jesus Christ, that we want our church to be member, mo, member mobilized. That's the church of Jesus Christ. So in closing, gospel application is Jesus Christ the chief cornerstone, or is he a stumbling block? Because the story of the Bible, the message of Jesus Christ is it's either or. Peter leaves no room for in-between. We're like, no, I know Jesus. Like, he was this historical figure. I like him. He says some really good things. I think we should try to live by some of those things. But but no, I mean, it doesn't, like, offend me. There's no in-between. It's an either or in Peter and in Jesus and in Paul and any New Testament writer's mind, that he's either the chief cornerstone or a stumbling block. And if, and if tonight you're like, man, this, I didn't, I've never heard this. I didn't know that I could approach a holy God through Christ. Tonight can be the night. Scripture says that today can be the day of repentance. And As we were talking about earlier, all you need to do is believe. And all you need to do is have faith in him and through him to be forgiven of your sins and be cleansed from all unrighteousness and be made in a right standing with us, with your brothers and sisters in this room. Secondly, in what ways can we prove it? And I want to be careful here. I don't want this to be some guilt-driven, like, prove it. Like, I don't want you walking out of here saying, oh, man, yeah, we could, you know, I should probably be doing more. I don't think that's, I don't think that's the right motivation. I think the motivation is coming from a right understanding of Scripture and who we are as a people and who we are as the bride of Christ and our, our mission and what we should be mobilized to be doing and to say, man, what, what, what are ways that we can do? I don't, even, I don't even know where to start. Email me, brian at hopecc.com or steve at hopecc.com or Core at hopecc.com and say, man, there's something I want to do. How, what can I do? How can I serve? And I guarantee you we can find something and we can work together to mobilize one another on mission for Christ. You say, man, I just want to think of something new. Let's talk about it. It's as simple as that. And not that we can do everything that everybody wants to do, so don't hear that. That's difficult. We all are wired differently. We all have different passions and desires, and that's great. But if there's something I can do to help you accomplish that, that's what we want to do. That is who we're called to be as the bride of Christ. So we can offer these acceptable sacrifices only in and through Christ. As always, we're going to have um, communion, and we're going to take the bread that represents the broken body of Christ uh, for our sins and the, and the juice that represents the, the blood of Jesus Christ that was spilt for us. And on the left, there's, a, there's an option here for gluten-free. But as we look at these elements, I want us to be reminded that this, this is, represents the chief cornerstone. This is him. This is his body and his blood that was broken for you. And as often as we take these elements, we do it in remembrance of him that we can remember this foundation that we've been built upon in our tiny little stone in this magnificent building that he is building and that we can now go from here, that we can be sent from here and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ who called us out of darkness and into marvelous, marvelous light. Will you pray with me as the worship team makes their way up front? Heavenly Father, you are so good. You're you're such a good storyteller. It's such an amazing thing to be able to to look at at 66 different books of the Bible and 40-plus different authors spanning thousands of years. And yet, in your creative, masterful way, you have weaved one story through the entire thing, that you knew your son would have to come to this world and that he would be rejected by his own people But then Jesus said that he would be made the chief cornerstone for all people. God, it is amazing. It is a beautiful thing that we get to take part of this. So, God, I pray that you would would convict, that you would, you would open our hearts and our minds and say, what can we do? What can we do to go on mission, to be mobilized in this community in our neighborhoods for you? What can we do to be mobilized even within these own walls to help serve one another, to bring you honor and glory in an acceptable sacrifice because we are in Christ, not because we're doing these things to earn some kind of merit or favor. So God, I pray that you'd be honored and glorified as we now lift up our voices and sing and as we remember the sacrificial meal that Christ instituted on this earth for his church and his bride thousands of years ago. And it is in his name of Jesus that we're even able to approach your holy throne. Amen.